0: Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Yo, so this is week one of a brand new series called Family Values. Family Values. It's our heart. And it's our desire that through these next several weeks, we come to the place of resolve where we return our families back to the heart of the Lord. This is imperative and it doesn't matter what your quote unquote family looks like. Family has lots of meanings. It has lots of shapes and sizes. It could be a two-parent household, a two-parent household with kids. It could be a single parent with a kid. It can be a single person. It could be divorced, it could be widow. It doesn't matter what the makeup of your family is. God has a purpose for your family and he has values that he wants you And I to deposit into and inside the paradigms and the parameters of our families. Amen? So, we're gonna start today talking about um, a topic that I wanna call Built to Last. Built to Last. I think that it is on the heart of God for every household represented here at All Nations Aurora to build a family that is built to last. I don't care what the demographics of your family is. Your family could be comprised of you. Guess what? God wants you to build that household that you make up to last, amen? So meet me in the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter, Matthew, the seventh chapter, I'll be reading from the NLT. Matthew 7, starting at verse number 24. Matthew 7, starting at verse number 24. When you got it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, hold up. Them androids, every time, every time. All right, let's do it. 24th verse says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. So right off the bat, Matthew is giving us a preview into what wisdom looks like. He's saying right away, if you do these two things, if you listen to the teachings of Jesus, that's just part A, and if you follow it, you become wise. Like a person, who builds a house on solid rock? Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. So that means you can come to church every week and leave out foolish because you heard it and you didn't do anything with it. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we honor you as our Lord, as our master. And right now we submit our will to yours. Everything that we came in with that was weighing us down, Father, release us, set us free, that we can open up our hearts Open up our ears, open up our minds to what it is you want to speak to us today. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, It is so. There are three things that God guarantees us in this little passage of Scripture. Number one, Jesus promises serious difficulties in our lives. Aren't you glad that at at least he's honest? At least he kind of tell you up front, listen, there's going to be some problems. There's going to be some obstacles and there's going to be some challenges in your life. Because he gave two examples. He gave the example of somebody who built their house on a rock and somebody who built their house on the sand. But in both instances, they both had the same set of challenges. So his promise to us is that there will be challenges. Don't be deceived. But the second thing that he promises us is this. He promises us total security and total success if we obey his word. So despite the challenges, despite the obstacles, despite the troubles, if we, obey his word. He promises us success. He promises us security in those storms. But there's a third thing that he promises us as well in this passage. He says failure. Failure is guaranteed every time for the person who disobeys his word. So that's that's a power-packed set of circumstances. Trouble is coming, but then there's a diversion between what happens when the trouble comes. For those people who decide that they're going to make the Lord and his word the rule over their life, they're going to be okay. But those who decide to do it their own way out of their own strength are going to be in a little bit of trouble. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together trying to figure out how to build a family to last. Amen? Amen. So there's only four points I'm going to give you. And be be on top of your kids. They got to take notes, because Miss Chrissy has promised them stuff if they take good notes, Okay. So make sure your kids are taking good notes. I think it's Skittles or something. I don't know, (laughs) because my kids were pretty excited. So I don't don't know. (laughs) Kids bucks, got it. So our first point is this, how do we build our family to last? You must surrender your life and your family to the lordship of Jesus and his word. I'll say it again. You must surrender your life and your family to the lordship of Jesus and his word. I know some in here are not saved. They have not surrendered their life to the Lord. I know some people in here are saved, and they have surrendered their life to the Lord. But have you surrendered your family to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your family to the word of Jesus Christ? If we're going to build a family that lasts, it can't just be about us. We can't just come to church, get what we need and go on about our way. If you are inside of a family unit, it's important that what you receive is distributed down to your family. Even if you are a single person, are you making sure that the Lord is in charge of every area of your life? Not just him, but his word. Does the Bible serve as an instruction manual for the decisions that you make? Does the Bible serve as an instruction manual for the relationships that you enter into? Does the Bible serve as an instruction manual for the relationships that you currently steward? Is Jesus and his word the Lord of your household? Isaiah 53 and six says this, all of us, not some, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths, why? To follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. Sheep are the most referenced animal in the Bible. Over 500 times, sheep are discussed. It's often discussed as a symbol of you and I. Not only are sheep mentioned quite often, but so are shepherds. The very first shepherd in our Bible was a gentleman named Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. And he was killed. By his brother Cain. What that is, is a shadow or a preview of Jesus Christ. Because later on in our Bibles, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus refers to himself as a good shepherd. And so the very first shepherd in our Bible was killed by his brother Cain, who was a person of the land. And then later, our good shepherd is killed by the people of the land. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. And the reason that they reference sheep and shepherds so much is because sheep are so dependent for their well-being on their shepherd. It's very, very easy for sheep to go astray because biologically so, they have what's called a flock mentality, meaning that by nature, they are prone to follow another sheep. So wherever the sheep in front of them goes, biologically, they are going to follow. So if that sheep that's in front of them, who's also following a sheep in front of him, goes off a cliff, everybody going down because that's what's in them by nature, which is why they are so in need of a shepherd. Because if we put our whole faith and trust into another man or another woman, and we develop a flock mentality, we have the propensity to fall off a cliff too. And so that's why the Lord is asking you and I to surrender to him, the shepherd of our life, to make him the shepherd of our families, to make him the shepherd of our household. One of the most famous shepherds in all of the Bible is a man named David. He was a king when he wrote this Psalm in the 23rd chapter of the Psalm. He sits on the throne as a king, but he's reflecting on his time as a shepherd. Now he's pretty powerful at this point in his life. He's been through a lot at this point in his life. He has received accolades and he has received praises and people look up to him and he has ascended to the most powerful seat, the most powerful position that he could ever ascend to. And yet he finds himself reflecting on his dependence on a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He's King David right now. Everybody's looking to him. Everybody's counting on him for guidance. Everybody's counting on him for provision. Everybody's counting on him for instructions. And he's saying, but you know who I'm dependent on? I'm dependent on the Lord because he is my shepherd. How many of us are in positions of power, whether that's inside of our families, whether that's on our jobs, whether that's in ministry, and we start to think it's about us. We start to let all the praise and all the admiration start to control our thoughts to the point that we forget that we sheep. We forget that we need a shepherd because if we don't surrender and if we don't adhere to our shepherd, we are prone to stray. We are prone to get off the past and, and King David continues on. He says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, right? Because when we get to that place, other versions call it the valley of the shadow of death. When we get to those tough points in life, we we tend to forget that Jesus still has the answers. When things get tight when our bank account gets a little close to them numbers turning red. We immediately go into fix it mode. We immediately go into trying to solve things on our own. When you start to see coworkers getting pink slips, we immediately just start filling out applications. They're not gonna get me. I'm going to have options. (laughs) When, 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 when uh, they get on Facebook talking about the next hottest business idea. Just pay me ninety seven dollars for this master class and I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. And you're going to have a million dollar business in two years. We just start filling stuff out. This must be the Lord. I was just praying about this. But did we really consider that we're just sheep. Don't just follow another person without consulting the shepherd. Because when we just follow people, we have the propensity to stray. And so this dark valley, because David has been in some dark valleys. He has had his life threatened on multiple occasions. He has caused problems in his own life by his own decisions on multiple occasions. He's been in some low places. He has had people all around him in close proximity trying to literally kill him. Some of them were his own family. How does it feel when your family turned on you? Come on, some of us can relate to that. Some of us can feel The very people that we pour love into, send hate back our way, that hurts. That feels like a dark valley. But what he's trying to get us to see is that even there, I choose to surrender. I choose to acknowledge him as my shepherd. He says, I will not be afraid. So you got to go through some stuff and get a couple victories under your belt to let you know that that God that helps you then is the same God that's going to help you now. He's speaking from experience. He's not speaking of philosophy that he heard about or that he read about or that somebody quoted about. He lived this thing. And he said, listen, I'm telling you that I've been through some stuff and because I got the victory there, even if I'm in some new stuff, even if I'm in a new dark valley, I won't be afraid, because that's the same God, that's the same shepherd that guided me back on the proper path. Then he's going to do it now. He said, because you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I don't know if you know this, but the rod and the staff are used by the shepherd sometimes to yank the sheep by the neck. get your tail back over here. And he said that provided comfort because what's over there is far worse than that yanking from the Lord to get you back on path. I know most of y'all have been saved your whole life, ain't never strayed, just went down in the baptismal pool, came up and been perfect ever since. But some of us have strayed and his rod and his path yanked us by the neck to get us back on the right path. And, And we have found that that yank was comforting. It was protection. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we'd love to quote that one, right? We'll put that on Facebook in a minute. I don't care about a hater. Because the Lord provides a feast in the midst of my enemies. (laughs) But seriously, who wants to be surrounded by enemies? Nobody. It's uncomfortable. It's not pleasant. But it can be a part of life. But, but David is saying like, yo, even when they surround me, even when they hate even when they're trying to uh, uh, usurp my position and go above me and try to mess up what I got going on, he says, it's cool. Why? Because he's been there before. He's been literally surrounded by his enemies. And he's literally been fed when he was starving, literally. And God provided. And so he's speaking like, listen. I know it's tough, I know the pressure, it feels tight, but even in that state of life, your shepherd is still there providing for me. He said, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, surely, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever, forever. So we know that sheep are prone to stray, and that's why they need, need a shepherd. But without a shepherd, it also may become hard for sheep to eat, because sheep, they just be going. they just be, okay, let's go. But at some point, they're going to get hungry, and if they don't get guided to the path and the place of pasture to eat, they will starve to death, and not only because we're talking about family values, but if they don't get the proper nourishment, they are not able to feed their kids. And so not only are they putting their livelihood on the line, but the generations that could have followed behind them now become malnourished. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Yeah. That if we don't get fed properly, if we don't get nourished properly, then the generations that we were singing about and our children and their children and their children, guess what, they, they don't get nourished properly either. And so that's why, that's why it's important where you eat. That's why it's important that you surrender to your shepherd to guide you to the right pasture to be nourished and to be fed and to be taken care of because it doesn't just affect you. But your legacy is on the line and and, and if we don't surrender and submit to our our shepherd, our good shepherd in Jesus Christ, we become prone, just like real sheep, to predators. Because sheep don't have that radar, that that instinct to let them know that trouble is around. They're too busy looking at sheep. They're too busy following other sheep to know that there's a wolf right there there. But the thing that's so powerful about a shepherd is that a shepherd will risk his life to protect and to save a sheep from its predator. See, you have to know that that's who your Lord is. If you don't understand that he substituted himself in your place on a cross and gave up his life so that you could live your life and your behavior won't look the way that it could as compared to somebody who realizes the only reason, the only reason I'm here, the only reason I have a chance, the only reason I have access to the Father is because he decided to give up his life for me. How does that truth move you? Have you just heard it so many times that it's no big deal now? That he left heaven nailed himself to a cross, gave out every ounce of his blood for you, while you were in your sin, for you, while you had your back turned to him, for you, for you. Because that's what a good shepherd does. It's willing to protect his life to keep you away from the predator because you may not know this, but you have a predator that's after you day and night. The Bible says that he is like prowling around, just looking to devour you. His whole goal is to steal, kill, and destroy every second of every day. He doesn't take no days off, but guess what? You have a good shepherd that has made himself available to you. One last thing, shepherds do. The reason why it's so important that we don't stray is because this is what happens when a, a natural sheep strays they get so lost and so far gone that their wool becomes overgrown. And I mean, that seems like a big deal to you, but you got to think about it. Just give me a second. Because I don't know if you've ever had anything made of wool, but the more wool is there, the more weight it has. So that extra wool weighs on the body of the sheep. And not only does it weigh on the body of the sheep and cause them to slow down and cause physical injury, if it gets too thick, it also invites parasites to be hidden within that thick wool that slowly... And methodically eats away at the life of that sheep. Because sometimes the devil is just right in your face, growling and all that. But sometimes it's like a little parasite, just slowly digging its way through your soul and causing you to slowly drift away from your father. And so it's important that you surrender your family to the lordship of Jesus and His Word. How do we walk this out? Real simple. Start here's, here's something. Start your day with prayer. I mean, that's something we can all do, right? Sometimes we make too much of it, and we we, we think, uh, uh, I have to have a prayer shawl. I got I got to burn some essential oils, right? I got to put on put on some soaking music, and I got to lay prostrate, right? That's good. If you can if you can pull all that off. I definitely, definitely say yes, do that. But, but if you can't get there, right, don't just like do nothing, right? Uh, theologian G.K. Chesterton says it like this, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly, <laughs> right? So doing it like halfway, doing it badly is a lot better than doing nothing, right? So everybody can pray, right? You can pray in the shower because we all take showers in the morning, hopefully. Okay, hopefully we're all taking showers. Oh, you can pray in the shower. I used to have to get up real early for work, but I had like an hour drive to work, and you can pray in the car, right? You can pray. And don't just teach yourself and discipline yourself to pray, but why not teach your kids? Why not incorporate that into what we do as a family? Here's something else you can do. You can just read a, a, one, uno, scripture a day. Come on, I'm not asking for too much. One, right? You can pull out the Bible app and read the scripture of the day. And just say, Lord, what do you have to say through this? Unpack that one scripture. Do it. We do it at the dinner table sometimes with our kids. We'll read it. We'll talk about it. And we'll ask our kids, what do you think it means? These are, these are just simple things you can do. Get a digital or a physical devotional and let, and let the pages walk you through it. If you don't have the, the money, go to the library and get one. One thing we got to do is is rid ourselves of excuses. And we have to do what we got to do to get as close to the Lord as we possibly can. Point number two, how do we build a family to last? Trust God as your heavenly father to meet your needs and to care for you. Trust God as your heavenly father to meet your needs and to care for you. Matthew 6 and 24 says this, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, that word money and other translations is the word mammon because the word mammon is not just money. It definitely can be money, but it's not just money. And money in and of itself is not Mammon. The only time money or things or possessions become mammon is when we make it an idol. When we place it above the value of our shepherd, it turns into mammon. It's not just money. It's not just things. It's not possession. But how about our time? How much scrolling are we doing compared to how much praying we're doing? How much scrolling we doing compared to how much Bible reading we doing? How much scrolling we doing compared to how many people we done told about the Lord this week? If our time becomes of a higher value than our relationship with the Lord, that also becomes mammon. Money definitely can be mammon, though. I want to be clear. I'm a money person and so I believe in the power of understanding what the Bible says about money and applying it to your life. And I remember, because we all have this on our mind right now because gas is $2,000 a a gallon right now. And the other day, the other day I filled up, I mean, mean, we got a minivan, I don't got a, a Hummer. And I pumped it and that boy said, $88. I said, what? <laughs> I know you lying. Because I wasn't standing there, right? You know how you, 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 you pump it and you, you hit the little lever and you go sit back in your car because it was cold? And so I heard it, it. said, boom. I said, OK, cool. Let's go. 80 Wait, $88.10. Let me be clear. And it reminded me of a time a long time ago, um, when I was just terrible with money. And I remember this. I'll never, ever, ever forget it. I was, I had a, I had a career. I had a, a job to pay me on the 1st and 15. I made good money. And I remember one day pulling up to the gas pump and pulling out my, my debit card. And I had to say a literal prayer, seriously. I had to pray that this boy did not get declined because I didn't have enough gas to get home with my fully employed self. Benefits. Okay. Retirement. And I'm praying, Lord, please let me get this through just as one time. I'm going to get it together. And part of my prayer seriously was this. I said, Lord, change it to where I don't even care what gas prices are no more. That was my prayer. And he did that. And he did that. I got to the place to where, my wife gets on me like, did you even check to see if that was the, I don't care. I don't care who got the best deal. Because I prayed a prayer yeah. a few decades ago that I'm living inside of right now. Yeah. To where I don't care. And I haven't. That's why I was so off-putting. I'm like, wait a minute now. When was That ADH, uh, like, was like an, uh, a wake-up. Like I look back at my van like, what am I driving? <laughs> you know? I started really second-guessing what's going on. But what happened over that period from from that prayer to this realization of $88.10 was money was no longer a God to me. That's why I was failing so miserably at money because it was a God. It was an idol. See, you you can make money into mammon if you have a lot and if you're constantly in pursuit of it. But you can also make money mammon when you are constantly worried and stressed about not having enough, right? From prosperity to poverty, it can still be mammon because it's how you view that dollar. Does it have such control over your life that you worship it more than you worship him? That is when money turns into mammon. I'm going to give you a couple things. Audit your budget. That means look at where your money is going. It's going to tell you the truth about you. That's why y'all so quiet. Y'all don't want to look. You're going to find out if the Lord is your shepherd or not. Or if Macy's is your shepherd. If Starbucks is your shepherd. If Target is your shepherd. Right? Another thing. Audit your days. How are you spending your days. Do you have any room in your 24 hours for the Lord? Y'all okay? Y'all coming back next week? Okay. Do you have any room in your 24 hours for the Lord? Take a look back over these last seven. How much of it did you give to the Lord? How much of it was in pursuit of God? How much of it did you use to develop a closer relationship with your shepherd? Last one, audit your phone. This will be real easy if you have an iPhone. Right? It's in there. It's built in where you can, you can look, and look at your screen time. It'll show you an analysis, a report. Huh? It'll tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth about how much time you're spending on all of your apps. If you have an Android, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Where's Raheem at? Raheem, you in here? I know you got an Android, do they, do y'all have apps? Y'all have apps? You have apps, okay. So Androids have apps. I guess there's some way that you can check to see I, you know, I want everybody to be covered. Yeah. So, Androids, you've got to do something. Um, but take a look. Take a look and then adjust. Don't just look and shake your head at yourself. Take a look. Surrender your budget. Surrender your days. Surrender your screen time to the Lord. Number three, how do we build a family to last. So the first one was to surrender your life and your family to the Lordship of Jesus and his word. The second one was to trust God as your heavenly father to meet your needs and care for you. And number three, think about the generational effects of your behavior and plan accordingly. Proverbs 13 and 22 says this, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes To the godly. Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love. We just sang about this. For a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. There it is again. It's a two part declaration. You have to love me and uh, obey my commands. Church attendance is not enough. Somebody say amen. You have to surrender your love to him. And you have to also look into his word to see what it says and execute Upon it, because every decision that you make, every decision that I make, affects the generation that's behind us. Some of your kids are in here taking better notes than you. It's okay. You can adjust. What are you demonstrating to your kids when you sit there next to them and don't even say amen? Can't even say preach. I could use a preach from somebody right now. Thank you. What are you demonstrating? What type of legacy are you building? Legacy inheritance is not just financial, but the real wealth is in. Do your kids even know that they can pray? They way out of a situation. Do they know that God's word is full of answers to life's questions? Are you leaving that type of inheritance? I remember when I I first got the news that I had to go to Iraq. I was freshly engaged. Just got the ring. Just put a ring on it. And Uncle Sam said, sorry, bro, you got to go. And I remember dreading. I had to have two conversations that I was dreading, one with my brand new fiance and one with my mom. Because my mom didn't want me to join the Army. She wanted me to go to college. It worked out, mom. Don't worry about it. But I remember, I had the conversation with my mom first. And I thought, you know, man, she's going to be sad and all that. And she just started quoting Bible verses. And I was, I was uh, about 60, 70% saved at that point. And, but I was still scared. Listen, I'm here by, the, by God's grace. But on that day, I was like, I didn't know, know what was going to happen when I got over there. And so... She started quoting scriptures and she said, a thousand will fall at your your left and a a thousand fall at your right and no harm shall come nigh to you. Because she's a she's a King James Version. Nigh. No, nigh. N-I-G-H. And I, I kept on to that. Like I held on to that tightly. Like it was shocking to me. Like she didn't cry. She wasn't tripping. Like she just. Totally dependent on the Lord for my safety. And I remember one day when I'm out there and things got hot and heavy and I was like trembling. There were, there were, there were sounds on the side of my vehicle and those were bullets. And then the door was about to open. I was going to have to go out and, and lead a group of other soldiers to, to do this, that, and the other. And I remember that voice. I heard my mom she said a thousand will fall at your left and a thousand falls at your right but no harm shall come nigh to you. I heard it again because that's what an, an inheritance looks like too. That your kids can, can draw upon spiritual deposits that you placed in them when they couldn't feed themselves. That's what an inheritance looks like. So, So, even now, right where you sit, as you move on throughout your day, you have to juxtapose the decisions that you make against the legacy that you're creating. Each and every decision that you make has an implication toward the legacy that you are creating. Each of these days that we have on this earth is a gift that we are provided 24 hours to shape A legacy. Second thing, focus on presence over presence. Because of where some of us came from, we try to finance a legacy. We try to buy our kids everything that was not purchased for us and we think we're creating a better legacy as a result. But scripturally speaking, that's not sound. The Bible encourages us to have presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E over presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, meaning be there, be in their business. I want my kids to hear this. Be in their stuff. Look at their phones. And not only that, but be there. Don't just be home and be absent. Don't just show up with gifts and think that that's enough. We have to be present and accounted for. And if you don't have children, if it's just you, you need to be showing up for yourself every day. We can't just like skate through life and and think any of these days that we have are insignificant because we're building a legacy for ourselves too. Believe it or not, there's people dependent on you to make these appropriate decisions in your singleness. One of the best things my wife did was prepare for me before I got there. She didn't know, but the Lord was telling her through her actions that she was about to marry a whole mess. And so she was shaving and and getting out of debt and cause a whole mess was about to be her husband. But she did that before I got there. She was preparing a legacy in her singleness. So legacies don't get started with wedding rings. Your legacy starts with your daily actions, your daily choices and decisions, and the strategies that that you implement. Last one, the fourth way that you can build a family that Will be built to last is keep your family in a Bible preaching and believing church where they can be grounded spiritually and build strong relationships. You know, church matters. I know we're in a season in the age where people are trying to make church insignificant. You can find God on your own, you don't need a community. You can just do it digital. You can do it by yourself. The problem with that is it's not biblical. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. Amen. <laughs> it ain't, it, it's not just about just showing up to show up, we're showing up because we need each other. Yes. Yes. We're all trying to, as the Bible says, grow in acts of love and good works. Yes. We all need encouragement sometimes. Yes. We all need prayer on a regular basis. Yes. Yes. We need to know that we're not in this thing by ourselves. And it's hard to do that when you decide that you are not going to plug in and connect to a local assembly of brothers and sisters all striving to follow a good shepherd. Psalm 68 and 6, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in sun scorched land. God believes in families and the church is a family. Yeah. You know, we're going through some things and I remember my mom the other day, she said um, that she was praying about it. And she said she called one of her prayer partners. Her name is Mrs. Arlene. You know where my mom met Miss Dar- Arlene? At church. Their friendship is probably as old as I am. Most of the people that she references and friends, I remember them from my childhood, from church. I still have vivid memories of these people. She asked me about somebody, I was like, oh yeah, that was my such and such. Oh yeah, I remember. Because some of your best friendships will be built in church. But you'll never get to experience that if you keep trying to run this race solo. You keep trying to get to a place of surrender on your own. You keep trying to get to a place of consistency on your own. Sometimes you just need somebody just to slap you upside the head with a Bible verse. Say, bro, get up. Sis, get it together. I love you. Come on. We need community. Here are some ways that you can walk that out. Show up to church, number one. Write that down. Everybody write that down. Show up to church. And don't just show up, right? Because remember, we've learned in several verses that it's not just enough to love him. It's not just enough to hear him. But you have to obey him. So take the word that you get and then dive deeper. For the two of you who wrote notes, you can take those verses and use this whole week to unpack it even more. Because you want to get closer to the Lord. Here's another one, go through discovery class. Discovery class is the class that we have that gets you from being a visitor to a partner at All Nations Aurora. It's the way that you get to serve. It's the way that you get to uh, get a nice cool blue shirt. Uh, But we want to encourage you because, again, this is about your journey, and we want to be a part of it. We want to walk with you. If you don't know what discovery is, find somebody with a blue shirt and say, hey, what the heck is discovery? And they'll take care of you. But the point is, that's you surrendering. Right? If God sent you here, that's you saying, Lord, yes. I am going to plug in. I am going to be a part of what you're doing here at this house and I'm going to benefit from it. And I want to be a part to benefit the people that are around me because you believe in being connected to a Bible believing church. And then the third one is be intentional about making connections. Don't just show up here and then walk out. Say hi to somebody. You know, give them an elbow bump, a fist bump a wave, whatever you're comfortable with, but connect with somebody. Stop trying to go at this alone. Plug in. Our motto here is welcome home. You are welcome here and you are home and we want you to be all the way plugged in. I'll I'll close with this because remember, we're talking about we want to build to last We want longevity. We want inheritance. We want legacy. Fun fact about me is I love music, like all caps, L-O-V-E. I love music, yet I have no musical ability. Can't sing, can't hold a note, can't play nan instrument. Now, I did want to be a drummer when I was a kid, but my mama ain't buy me no drums. So I was at school with two pencils just tearing up the desk. You know what I mean? I'm going to be a drummer with these pencils. <laughs> but I love, I love, I love music. And there is a really fun, cool fact about an instrument, a particular type of violin that I read about. It's called a Stradivarius violin. It's named the Stradivarius violin because it was made by a violin maker named Anthony Stradivari. He lived in Italy in the uh, 1600s and the 1700s. And he was called uh, a master instrument maker. He made lots of instruments, but his most famous ones were violins. These things are worth a lot of money today because of the way that he made them. Research shows that even today, violin makers go back to his drawings and go back to his quote unquote technology and how he crafted and created his violins. Over his career, he made 1,100 total. And about 600 of them are still alive and active. They're used in symphonies. Like they are viewed as the elite of the elite. And he made these in the 16 and 1700s. One recently sold for $15.9 million dollars. because he built them to last. He was so precise in his craftsmanship. He was so intentional about the way that he designed his instruments with his last name on them that they're still incredibly valuable, even more valuable today than they were back then. There's one in the Smithsonian. There's one in the Oxford Museum in England. They're used in concert halls around the world and then placed back into air conditioned containers to keep them preserved. They say the sound is unmatched even with all the technological advances of the day. There's still no violin that can match the sound that comes from a Stratavirus violin. But the thing about these violins is, even though they are master crafted and even though they, they have this legacy that, strands, that that stems from hundreds of years ago, if those violins aren't tuned up, they just make noise. Even though the craftsmanship is superior even though they're put in these air-conditioned cases. If the musician doesn't tune them just right, they sound awful. They don't live up to the legacy that was built. So it's not just enough to build, but you have to steady keep tuning to make sure that the legacy that you are building, continues to make beautiful noises to heaven. What does that look like? You have to continue to surrender this legacy that you're building to him. You have to continually bring it to him. You're not building it for yourself. You're not building it in your own power. You're not building it in your own intellect. You're building while surrendering. You're building while submitted. Because he's gonna make sure that what you're building is tuned just right. Because you don't wanna build apart from the master builder. The Bible says that he is a potter and that we are the clay. But it takes a surrender. It takes an acknowledgement to know that I'm just sheep. And when I know that I'm a sheep, I also know that I need a shepherd because without him, I will stray. Without him, I could be prone to predators. Without him, I can be prone to disease. Without him, I can't get the nourishment that I need to not just sustain myself, but to sustain my legacy. He wants you and I to build to last. And guess what? You have the ability to do it. He's given us instructions in His Word, and He wants us to surrender to Him and His Word and start building. So let's be intentional from this day forward about the legacy that we are building because it's being built daily, minute by minute. We are building a legacy. The question is, are we building it to last? Are we building something fleeting? This time next year, it'll be one thing and the year after that, it'll look like something else. Or are we building something like Stradivarius, to where hundreds of years later, that last name still is a powerful last name. What will your last name be in 100 years in this earth? What will it mean? What will they say about you? Anything? God has given us the power to build to last. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.